Kyle Brandt's Basement is brought to you by Caesar Sportsbook. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Kyle Brandt's Basement. I'm thrilled to see you. I'm in a great mood today. That's despite just having come from the post office. Post offices are still real. I was just that one. Do you know why I had to go? Because uh, we need to have my six-year-old daughter's... Um, she needed a new passport. She needed a passport. Did you know that if you had get a passport for a kid, both parents have to be there? If both parents of the child, you have to sign, you have to, you have to vouch for it. And it, it, my understanding is because it, it prevents one parent from like taking the child and fleeing the country. Very dark. Very sad commentary, but I guess very true. You, you got to have it. So I had to be there just in case uh, my wife wanted to take... Um, our daughter and moved to France and get away from us. So I was at the post office. It was awful. They haven't changed since I was a kid going there in the 80s holding my mom's hand. And despite that, I'm in a good mood. Why? Because we have a Kyle Brandt's Basement Wednesday. All kinds of things to talk about. Aaron Judge had 62 home runs. So we're going to use that as an excuse to go back to that beautiful summer of 1998 when baseball was so hilarious, so stupid, and so fun. And we're going to talk about it. So many takes out. Bonds, Judge, who's the king? We'll talk about that. We're going to talk about Bill Steelers this weekend. What else? Uh, who I'm really disappointed in at quarterback. Also, we have to talk about uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie that's coming out. We're doing takes on takes. I think it's Stephen A. versus Mike Greenberg making his debut in the segment. Uh, let's get after it. Let me do a shot. See, we have a statistician here. Let's go to the sky cam. We have a statistician here who will remain nameless right now who keeps track of my free throws to start every show. And I never hear about the percentage until it's a big shot, like the one that's going to get me over 500 or under 500. And I heard that of all the shows that we've done, I'm, I think this one will get me to 500. Let me see. Come on. Seven for 14. This would be eight for 15. Good night. <laughs> yeah. Log it. I am on fire. That is three in a row. Yes. Give me one more. All right, let's do it. Let's, I love everything right now. I'm going to have to fake that I hate something because that's the name of the segments. But it's what I love, what I hate, and what's hilarious. Bang! I love that the Steelers have a new starting quarterback indefinitely. His name is Kenny Pickett. He also played college football at Pitt. I love it for a lot of reasons. One... Uh, no one needed to see Mitch Trubisky this year. It just wasn't. I, I've said this many times. I like Mitch. I respect Mitch. I have a history with Mitch. It just wasn't going to happen. Is there anyone who thought, yeah, Trubisky is going to get the Steelers to 11-6. and six. They'll be right in the playoffs. It was never going to happen. I was pounding on the table for the Steelers to start picket from the get-go. Let's launch this thing. Why bother with the bridge quarterback? Just get in there. It's 2022. These quarterbacks are on a clock. You got to maximize them before they get the second contract. Let's go. They didn't. And I, but at least Tomlin was not super stubborn and kept Trubisky in there until week 8 or week 9. So we're getting Pickett. Do you know it's a 14.5 point spread as of this morning? You don't see a ton of those in the NFL. This is Pittsburgh at Buffalo. So his first start is going to be against the Buffalo Bills, against Von Miller, Jordan Poyer, at Al. It's going to be really hard because the Bills' offense is going to be great. The, I, th I think Kenny Pickett might have to throw 40, 45 passes in this game just to keep up. I just love all of it. It's going to be great theater, and, and I respect that the Steelers are doing this because obviously you don't want to start a dude in his first game at Buffalo against the Josh Allen experience. You don't. 
you want like a sleepy little home, maybe a road game against a crappy team that's really scraping on defense, you can't do it. You would love to start Kenny Pickett at the Lions. The Lions aren't on the schedule. So you might say, well, let's protect him. Let's just put Trubisky out there again. Make it perfect for Pickett. The Steelers don't do that. They're like, we want to win the game. We're what, one in three right now. We, we got to start winning. We got to get cooking right now. We, we are very much in the Steelers business of winning. We don't do filler seasons. We don't do rebuild seasons. So put Trubisky in to protect the rookie, fine. But we don't think Trubisky gives us the best chance of winning. And we're going there. Every team says, we have every intention of winning this game. I actually believe the Steelers are going to say it. I don't think they will. But I like that they're playing them. It's just going to be really hard. I mean, it might be a massacre. It might be. Because think about this. This is how the Steelers, this is what the Steelers deal is. Uh, you think, all right, well, you got a rookie quarterback playing his first game at Buffalo with all their table-jumping maniacs. Let's uh, let's lean on the run game. The Steelers' offensive line is, is not great right now. The running game is plotting. I like Najee a lot, but he doesn't have many explosive runs. It's just not there. So, okay, you say, well, we got the defense. Let's talk about the Steelers' defense. The best player on their team, T.J. Watt, is out. You know that. We got Minka Fitzpatrick, great safety. He's banged up. Don't know what his status is. Okay, well, at least we have Cam Hayward. That's our guy. He's banged up too. So you know what you know what's left. You know what the Steelers have. They have really good explosive wide receivers, and they got a young quarterback with a live arm. So if I'm making the game plan for the Steelers to go into Buffalo, who's 14 and a half point favorites, chuck, 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 light it up and see what happens. Throw 60 passes. That's the only way you're going to win this thing. Don't tell me you're going to control the ball with Najee. It's a crazy recipe, and that's why they're 14 and a half point spreads. I just don't know what's going to happen in this game for Pickett, but I can't wait to watch, and I'm so much more interested in watching it than Trubisky go through with his footwork and throwing incomplete passes. It was so funny. We had Josh on yesterday, and we were, you know, you're going against a quarterback making his first NFL start. Do you remember yours? And he reflected way back in the day, and this is a guy now who is maybe the best player in the NFL, super talented, super big, super big arm, and listen to what a mess our guy Josh was in his first NFL start. Yeah, I mean, he's, he's got a couple more weeks on me than I, than I had. Um, going into week two, man, like I, I, was, I was extremely flustered by, you know, the game plan, the play calling, the protection, like just trying to figure all that stuff out. Like I remember like yeah. calling the wrong protection, like at the line of scrimmage and my line's looking back at me like, what, what are you, what are you doing? You can't, you can't do that. I'm like, it's, it's an odd front. You can't do that. I'm like, just go that way. You know, like just trying to figure it out. Um, there's a lot of stuff flying, you know, especially uh, playing a defense like the chargers were, they were, they were a really good defense um, that year. They've been a defense for a long time, but that year they were, they were really good. Um, you know, and I think our defense is pretty dang good too. So um, I don't want to give them too many secrets right away. You know, maybe I'll talk to them after the game and we can talk, but uh uh-huh. Yeah, we, we got to go find a way to win a football game. Yeah, I don't want to give him too many secrets until we house him by 34 points, and then I'll tell him everything. I love that story about him trying to set the protection. Can't you just imagine these Bills linemen, you know, they're, they're physically turning around in their three-point stance to tell this rookie quarterback, dude, what are you doing? You can't do that. And then as the play clock's getting down to three, Josh just goes, block that way. <laughs> That's, and that was him. Like, that is a guy who has become unbelievable. Pickett's got to just jump in there and go, and he's going to be against a juggernaut. It's going to be amazing to watch. I really respect what the Steelers are doing. I'm so much happier now that they're not doing Trubisky. We can really get along. Trubisky's probably pissed. This is the team he was with last year, Buffalo. Trubisky can be pissed all he wants. 
it's a Kenny Pickett time, and I want to see Kenny Pickett versus Josh Allen. Maybe Pickett will throw 60 passes. I just don't know if he's going to score 10 points. Uh, Steelers-Bills, one to watch this weekend. I love that matchup. We'll talk more about it tomorrow, I'm sure. But let's get to uh, the yang to this yin. Let's get to something we call what I hate. I hate what's become of the Baker Mayfield uh, redemption season. And I'm just going to put my hand up right here. I feel like I'm walking into some kind of support group, and I walk in, and I get up to speak, and I've got coffee, and I say, Hi, my name is Kyle, and I'm a Baker Mayfield fan. I'm sorry. And then I'll go, oh, and then I just start talking about why and how. And I am. I do like Baker Mayfield. Sometimes you have an athlete that... For whatever reason, you just root for him. You know, I'm not I'm not a Panthers fan. I'm, I, I have no connection to, to Carolina. I have no connection to Cleveland. I have no connection to the colleges he played at. I, nothing. I just remember him coming out, and I thought that was incredible what Baker did. That's when I first started really liking him. Remember, this is the draft, the same draft as Josh Allen. And there was all this talk about who to take, and there was a lot of quarterbacks in that draft. And Baker kind of just willed himself to be the number one pick. It was like he ran the perfect campaign because he was not going to be the guy for a long time. Remember, this was Sam Darnold. He was the USC golden boy who played that incredible season two years prior and was the the prince that was promised. He was the one. And then you had Josh Rosen, who was the hashtag the most pro-ready. So we go with Rosen from UCLA. And then you had Josh, who was really appealing, but had so many question marks and people were scared about the program that he played in. And then you had Lamar. Lamar, who had all kinds of draft discussion, up to and including him changing his position. He wouldn't run a 40. So there was a lot of mystery with Lamar, too. He fell all the way to the back of the first round. But then there was Baker. He was just kind of sitting there. Well, he's kind of short. Yeah, but he won the Heisman. He's got an arm. And from the time that combine season started to the time we got to the draft, which was in Texas, in Jerry World, he just ran the perfect campaign. He said the right things, he had the right hype, he did the right deal, he did himself, he did a shirtless photo with a white tiger before Tiger King, and he was number one pick in the draft. And he showed up and he finally won a game for the Browns. And he was cool, and he was fresh, and he was bold, and he, he didn't apologize for anything. And the Browns fire Hugh Jackson, and Baker comes out and his mouth in him on the sideline, because the next, they, remember he was an assistant on the opponent, and then Baker comes out afterwards, and I'm just like, I like this guy! He's, he's got like a little farve to him. He's cocksure is the word, and he's bold, and I just really liked him. I liked the way he played. And so it didn't work out in Cleveland, and they made this crazy decision to go with Deshaun Watson. So the second he got to Carolina, I'm like, this is how it's going to work. Matt Rule's been waiting for this guy, because Matt Rule's another guy I root for. Cool personality, cool background. And I just got all mouthy and said, you know what? Screw it. I think Tom Brady and the, the Bucks are going to kind of fall asleep fall asleep this year in the, in the South or fall apart. I don't like anybody else. I think the Panthers are going to win the NFC South and Baker's going to be for real. If Baker loses this game this weekend, they're playing San Francisco. San Francisco has the best defense in the league. If they lose this game, and especially if they lose it bad, I don't know if Baker's going to ever start a game in the NFL again. I mean that. They may bench him for some, for anybody. He's just, last week against the Cardinals, you, you don't see games played by a professional quarterback that are much more ineffective than he was. It was crazy. It was like a rock bottom thing. So Baker's been in some huge games. He's been in a couple playoff games. He played the Chiefs in the playoffs. He beat the Steelers in the playoffs. Obviously massive college games. This is one of the biggest games of his life. Panthers, Niners, week five, 
They're home too. They're at Carolina. So if they if the Niners are doing what they did to the Rams last week and Baker gets smoked and throws a pick six and is fumbling, like they're just gonna get the hell boot out of him. He's probably gonna get benched. It's just nuts. And it's like this whole Baker thing is gonna be over. Then you're gonna say, can he get a backup job? Can he leave? Is he gonna retire? Just remember two years ago, this guy was saving Cleveland and he's in these really legitimately funny commercials, some of them. And he was cool and he was fresh and he was he was leading the news. It was Baker this, Baker that, and it's just all falling apart. And you look at what Lamar's done since then. You look at what Josh has done since then. Darnold and Rosen are different stories, but in that same draft class, I just liked Baker. And it's it almost feels I don't know why I like him other than I like the confidence and I like the content from Baker. I'm I'm gonna, I work in places like this where I gotta talk about people. And you know, sometimes they're not that interesting. Baker's very interesting. If you don't, you may hate Baker. You may like him, you may feel indifferent. He's interesting. He's very interesting. Guy who's the number one overall pick in the draft. He was unwanted out of high school, reviled sometimes in college. And, and I, I almost look at Baker like a like a politician or someone that for some reason just has this, this cult of personality that, at least for me, I don't know about you, you're just drawn to them. And, and you can't totally explain why, but when he was doing the college thing, that was as if this politician, he was a senator or a governor or a smaller end politician, and then he made this meteoric rise to the number one overall pick, you know, class loaded with quarterbacks, and all of a sudden, oh my God, you know, he gets the big job, he's president, and then he gets there and he kind of does some cool, fresh things, and he wins you over, and you're like, yes, this is my guy, and I wear the hat, and I wear the shirt, or whatever, and then it just kind of falls apart, and you're like, but I still like them, and I like their charisma, and I like the way they speak, and I get caught up in that, where what really matters is what are they doing what are they getting past? What change are they making? How are they leading? It's not been great. It's with Carolina, it's been absolutely awful. You know, if you were to rank the quarterbacks in the NFL right now based on their performance this year, he's not in the top 35. And because you put guys like Bridgewater ahead of him, anybody. It's just been really, really rough. So this political candidate, who I'm not even a political person, I, it, I'm just not wired that way to be fired up by politics. But for whatever reason, somewhere back in his early campaigns, I just fell for Baker Mayfield and started voting for him, and I liked him, and now it's just all falling apart. So, look, the way that goes with Baker, you see these memes, sometimes they'll do the cycle, where I, I don't know the step-by-step of the one that I've seen, but it's always like, Baker, nobody thinks he's good, um, plays inferior opponent, wins, next step, is like, has something to say about his critics, um, has proven critics wrong. Next one, plays terrible. And then it goes back to, gets to inferior opponent. So the thing is, this is not an inferior opponent. He's playing the Niners, like the real Niners, not the Trey Lance experimental Niners, like the Garoppolo Niners. So in the normal way of Baker being a survivor, he wins this game this weekend. But I don't see anybody picking him to do it. And it's all over. I, mean, I honestly mean, if, if he doesn't play well this weekend, he gets hammered, I think you have to bench him. Because Matt Rule... Matt Rule, very likely, to, I think probably the most likely to get replaced in the middle of the season. They had a nine-game losing streak before they won a couple of weeks ago, and now they lost again. If they lose this one, it's probably over, and it's like uh, it's like the the impeachment of Baker Mayfield, and they, they finally found him, and it's going to be done, and he has to step down. And I don't know. I liked him. I'll root for him if, if it does football doesn't work out. I like him as a guy. I like that he's into his wife, and he brings her in the commercials. I just think it's cool. There's, I don't know what's about it. I'm not from the South. I spent five minutes in Oklahoma in my whole life, but 
I'm rooting for Baker this weekend. It's going to be tough sledding, but I hate that it's gone this badly because you know what? It's bleeping interesting when Baker, what if Baker Mayfield was four and one after this week and the Panthers were a thing? I like it. You might not. I don't care. That's my guy. Let's get to what's hilarious. I'm really enjoying the home run king debate. I find it hilarious. It's great fodder. It's just candy. It's delicious. I'm here in New York. There's so much of a fervor about Aaron Judge. He hits the 62nd home run. And, you know, that ball hadn't even landed yet. And already the debate kicks off. Like, is 62 the number? Or hold on a second. Is it 73? I seem to remember somebody named Barry Bonds hitting significantly more home runs than Aaron Judge has. And, you know, one of the, the lightning rods for that controversy in the media today was Jeff Passan, who you probably know is a great baseball writer, but if you don't, he's a great baseball writer. And Passan tweets um, something that I, I think really a lot of people had a reaction to. He says, Aaron Judge's 62 home runs is a remarkable achievement. Barry Bonds' 73 home runs is the record. There is nothing else to discuss. <laughs> I don't know about the last part, but I think the first two sentences are factual. That's one of those where one of my favorite gifts is uh, Tom Hardy from Mad Max Thunder Road where he's pointing upwards and he goes, that's bait. Because you think that's some kind of troll. I can't speak for that. I'm sure Jeff is genuine in his heart when he tweets it. But you know what's more interesting than the tweet to me is that I, I clicked on it and I figured a lot of people would just be, oh, shut up, shut up, steroids this, steroids that. So many of the responses are positive and agreeing with him. This is facts, straight facts. This man, say it louder for people in the back, preach. That's what, that's what they're saying, so the, that 73, the Bonds, is, is the king. And I just thought there's so many haters of all that that maybe it's, just, it's, maybe it's a lot of San Francisco Giants fans or maybe it's just people who are agreeing with it and just running with a bit. But I was genuinely surprised in that because I thought there'd be so much animosity towards the Royd Kings back in the day. And there's a refreshing thing about Aaron Judge. But more importantly, um, I, I loved the, the end of the steroid era, as so many of us did. It, let's, not, let's not be kidding. 1998 especially, this is just my excuse to take you on a magical journey back to the year 1998. Wonderful time. I was, I was finishing my freshman year in college at the time. Imagine this in the United States when, when Sosa and McGuire end up going back and forth. This is cl- prime Clinton era, not only Clinton era, a Clinton Lewinsky era. It was just wild. And it's just a few months before he was actually impeached, or not uh, impeached, but uh, whatchamacallit. Yeah. Um, so we're talking about, there's Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky. The movies are great. Just it, It's a great time for movies. Deep Impact, Truman Show, Armageddon, Saving Private Ryan, Something About Mary, Rounders, all the music is looked back on like with scorn. It's when the boy bands were blowing up and it's Christina and Britney. There's some good rock going on, but a lot of bands like with one name, like Blur and, and Fuel and things. It was just a crazy wild time. MTV was massive. And it was like as if baseball said, hey, Vince McMahon, you want to operate the sport for a couple years? Let's just toss you the keys. You're up. And he said, oh, do I ever? In the summer of 1998, I'm going to give you a treat. And we're going to cast this thing. We're going to say, I want this giant, canned ham, four-armed, red-haired guy who used to be with the Bash Brothers. Now we're going to rebrand him. 
you know, it's kind of like he, he went over to NWO or, or changed allegiances in some way. And McGuire's here, and he's in St. Louis. Now, baseball crazy St. Louis. You couldn't make it any better. Just a great character. The aging slugger in a baseball market who's always been really well-liked and was just preposterously big. Preposterously. What always cracks me up about 98 is there's just no subtlety to it whatsoever. And then we're at the other guy in the other corner is we're going to put Ken Griffey Jr., who is natural, who is the son of a great, who is born to hit home runs, has the most beautiful swing you've ever seen in your life. So they start going, and it's Griffey, and it's McGuire, and it's Griffey, and just so many home runs. Stupid home runs. Like the Aaron Judge thing is just, it's a pittance compared to what they were doing. But then Vince McMahon, in this hypothetical world, he says, you know, I like this Griffey character, but he's just not giving me enough. It's not working. And so let's, let's do a new storyline. Let's go to a bigger market than the Pacific Northwest, where Griffey is, Let's go to Chicago, and we'll have a Chicago-St. Louis thing. They're already rivals, and it's Midwest, and it's apple pie, and it's Fourth of July, and it's watermelon, and it's wonderful time in 1998 summer. Let's do Sosa. Because here's the deal. Sosa, and this is what we're comparing to Aaron Judge in these days. So Sosa, it's Griffey and McGuire at the beginning. And I just, I, I love summer of 98. It's a wonderful, happy time for me, and really for America, I think. Sosa enters the month of June, and he's only got 13 home runs. He's not even in the thing. And then this dude, in the month of June, hits 20 home runs. 20 in one month, which is a record that still stands for most home runs in a month. It was just like, in the days that he only hit one, you couldn't believe it. You're like, what? Only one? Because the other times he walked. Like, I was in Chicago at the time, and it was just... You would wake up and be shocked that Sosa only hit one home run because he had 20 in a month. And so if this thing surges on and it becomes this, this wonderful like horse race. And all the time, Maguire then starts September. Like Maguire, they go through August and now it's a race. Maguire starts September. Remember what I said about no subtlety? Like no attempt to be like, like these guys know that they're juicing at the time. But no attempt ever to be like, I got to chill out a little bit on the home runs. Maguire starts September. He hits four home runs in the first two games. Just bang, 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 bang in two games. Four jacks. Not three in two games. Even, you know, two in two games would have been fine. No, four. Um, and and it's, it's reaching this fever pitch. <laughs> he, uh, he ends the season. Um, you know, he gets the 62, and it's the shortest one. He runs around the bases, and Sosa's there, and it's this amazing moment. So it's not just enough to get Roger Maris's number. Again, the pattern here, the Vince McMahon pro wrestling, like zero subtlety. He ends the season as the Cardinals. He already has the record. He's way past the record. In a home uh, homestand against the Expos, Cardinals Expos. And in that homestand, he hits five home runs against five different pitchers to end with 70. Um, it just reminds me of a child, like one of my children, who, it's, you lie, okay? But when you get caught in the lie, is that you just take the lie too far. It's not hard to get away with a lie. It's not hard to get away with cheating back then. You can't make us look stupid. My son will come home and say he was, he was walking back from across the street with, with my, our, his younger sister, and he'll say, oh, well, she was going to walk in the street, but I stopped her, and I, I made sure to protect her. And I'll say, oh, that's great, Calvin. Good job for you. And that's a lie. But then he'll be like, and then, as we were walking through the front yard, I started lecturing her on the tenets of how she should behave as she turns into a seven-year-old. I'm like, Kevin, you're lying. And, and then there was a spaceship that landed. That would be the equivalent of what the McGuire and Sosa thing did. 
they just had no chill, no idea that like, hey, I think if we, we can break the record, maybe. But if we get up to like 70, people are going to start really questioning us. And, and nobody did. Everyone's just like, this is great. This is the greatest thing we've ever seen. Never mind that the Maguire's back looks like the side of a minivan. And he used to be kind of a skinnier guy with the A's. It just got so farcical. Do you remember there was an SNL sketch where who do you think played Mark Maguire and Sammy Sosa? It couldn't be better. Will Ferrell was Maguire and Tracy Morgan was Sosa. And it was just so satirical and so funny. And it's just it, it, two alien, idiot, muscle-bound, dumbass sluggers go through this whole thing. And it's like, wow, 70 is really crazy. And that record stood for so many years. All of a sudden, bam, I don't know, we're 70. And if you think that's stupid, a couple years later, Bonds is like, enough of that. I'm going to hit 73 home runs. And I'm trying to think of a, 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 the equivalent to football. In 1998... Some of the, we still had Barry Sanders and he was still great. And Emmett Smith was still great. But those guys were starting to get a little later in their career. Just imagine that if in 98, Barry Sanders like ran for 2,300 yards rushing. <laughs> we're like, oh my God, Barry, we knew you were good. Like we knew McGuire was good. But you just broke the, the, the single season record by like over 300 yards. How did you do that? And meanwhile, Emmett who, again, had been around for a while, like Sosa had. And, man, Emmett was chasing him. And every single game, it was 180 yards, 190 yards, 230, 160, 215. And in the last week of the season, all of a sudden, Barry ripped off a 320-yard game. That was his homestand against the Expos, where Maguire hit five home runs and five pitchers to end the season. It was just, it's stupid. That's the closest equivalent I can come up with. But we all loved it. And I'll end with this. Aaron Judge, God bless him. I love him. I look at him as the king because the other stuff was just cartoons. I look at him as the king unless we find out years from now he's doing something he shouldn't have, which I guess only certain people want to talk about. But my favorite stat about the steroid era is that Sammy Sosa hit 60-plus home runs three times, three times, and never led the league in homers. Never. Each of the three times he went 60-plus, he still was not the home run king that season. I miss, I miss that era so much. It was terrible and a lie, and those guys destroyed their bodies probably, and they went to Capitol Hill and lied about it. It's all a very bad message. But damn, it was fun. That one summer that Vince McMahon ran Major League Baseball. That's it. That's what's hilarious. We have to move on. I'm, I'm, I, I, I wish to do an own separate show, a documentary. It's been done many times about 98, but I'd like to be part of it. Let's move on, though, to what we call... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. 
That's BlueNile.com. Takes on takes. Let's go. All right, we got takes, and we have numbers 7, 6, 10, which we've never used. Uh, you know everyone's got takes these days. That word's everywhere. Hot takes has become this kind of eye-roller cliche, like goat, that everybody says it. What we do here is we take two of the takers, we bring them in, we pair them against each other, and then I have takes on those takes, and I give them a score. I've never given a zero before, but I am in possession of an actual zero. Let's get right into it. The three categories we're judging these um, combatants on are delivery, creativity, and a little bit of heat. Delivery, creativity, heat. First up, we head to, normally, the Get Up program on ESPN, which we've done that many times, but we've never gone to this gentleman, Mike Greenberg, makes his Takes on Takes debut, and Mike Greenberg would like to say something about the Dallas Cowboys for his very first appearance. Mike Greenberg, I've got my numbers, you've got your take, the floor is yours. I gotta call a timeout, Uh-oh. okay? I have one issue, and I have a okay. bone to pick with everybody. I know. So yesterday I sat here and I listened to how Dan Quinn is responsible for all Absolutely. of the success. Absolutely. And now I'm listening to how Kellen Moore and Stephen Jones <laughs> are responsible for all the success of the Cowboys. Amazing. And if they were 0-4 right now, we'd be firing Mike McCarthy. <laughs> Why does Mike McCarthy get no credit, the credit when they he win? Does. And we'd be firing him if they lost. I'm going to say this right now. They've won three straight games with a backup quarterback. Mike McCarthy is the coach of the year right oh. this minute. Right this minute Uh-oh. in the NFL. Hold you up. show me a key. I mean, yeah. what? Green I was Green, with you. Greeny went too far. You were like, we were going. Great then you jumped off the cliff. Your boy Greeny's high. That's <laughs> where he jumped into. Show me a team that has overcome more adversity than losing your starting uh, quarterback week one Greeny. and being sitting there three and one. I right told again. you last year that the greatest thing that happened to the Cowboys in the offseason is that Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore stayed in the building. And that has proved true because the people installing that offense and running that defense, by the way, the best defense in the NFL or turning the ball over, doing all the things to help win is doing it. I just want to make sure I'm clear on something. If they lose, it's all McCarthy's fault. And if they win, he gets none of the credit. (laughs) That's good. It's really good. There's a lot that I like about that. I like that he starts by calling a timeout. Which, when you do these shows, like I work on one, you have your proverbial kind of uh, traffic cop or anchor or whatever you want to call it. And sometimes they don't get a chance to talk because you have all these other opinionists out there and it's a live show, so it's on a pretty strict clock. Um, on our show, Jamie Erdahl, we always try to make sure she gets to talk. But if someone gets to cut short, it, it's usually that person because they have other duties. I like that he had to call a timeout, and I understand the sensibility there because there's three other people at the desk and one person on remote. I like that. Um, obviously, the delivery is great. He is, you know, he's, he's a linguist. He's an anchor. He, he knows how to have it. And he was kind of that perfect pitch of, I'm annoyed and I'm, I'm a little bit raising my voice, but I'm not screaming yet, which is hard to do. And also, he had to fight through the gesticulations and the interruptions of everyone around him. And sometimes you just stop and say, all right, well, I'm sorry, you don't agree with me? Well, then you speak. No, no, no. He fought through it. I like the originality, too, because no one wants to take up for Mike McCarthy. That's where we get to the heat of it. The heat of it was also that he thinks it was fine to take up for him. See, this is how takes on takes work. If you want to get a good score, saying, oh, Mike McCarthy should get more credit, that's like a five or six. But when you double down and say, you know what, I got this wrestler on the ground, 
I'm climbing up to the top turnbuckle and I'm going to try for the elbow. And you say he should be coach of the year. That's how you win. That's how you win. So, um, man, I'm going to go, I'm going to go with a seven. It's a strong seven. There's nothing wrong with a seven. I don't think it was good enough for an eight. There wasn't any comedy in it. And I don't know. It just didn't blow me away. But don't, don't get me wrong. Seven is a really, really strong score. And I, I respect where he went with that. It's also just an interesting commentary that he makes valid points. They're three and one. They are surviving a lot of adversity and they're fine. And like my observation of that take is that there's so little respect for Mike McCarthy. The people on the on the in the studio show are shaking their heads and like basically ready to walk off just because he said his take. So it really is not about uh, Mike Greenberg. It's about Mike McCarthy and the idea that he's just kind of there and the coordinators run it. And that kind of coach does exist in the NFL. It's existed for decades. It's a sort of a figurehead, and they run the meeting, but we all know Dan Quinn and Kellen Moore does this. I don't even know if it's the case with that, but I like that take. And I, my observation is that, man, Mike McCarthy doesn't get any credit, but maybe he doesn't deserve any. These guys, Jeff Saturday, people like that, Marcus Spears, like, they know what's up in the league, and they're both like, Mike McCarthy? I don't know. It was pretty good. Uh, but who's going to take out a seven? You need someone with some big power here, and we go to uh, our mainstay. You know, whenever... Whenever Conan O'Brien would need a guest and someone canceled at the last minute, he'd always have Al Roker on because Al Roker was in the same building, just come up the elevator. So Al Roker was on Conan like hundreds of times. This is our Al Roker. It's Stephen A. Smith. He's here, but we don't need him in case of cancellation. We go to him. Stephen A. Smith, you might not believe this, has to beat a seven and has a message. Um, And by the way, I should say this. He's now been on, this is his third appearance in Takes on Takes. He has gotten a five and he has gotten an eight. So... Think about his batting average right there. Is that like 6.5, That's 6.50 basically. Stephen A. has a message for a guy I talked about earlier in this show, Baker Mayfield. Can he beat a seven? Let's hear it. I want the camera to look at me right now. <clears throat> Baker Mayfield. I like it already. You look <laughs> awful. Just awful. Yeah. You do not look like a starting quarterback in the National Football League. And your career is in jeopardy Mm. because that's how sorry you look. I'm not saying it to get on you. I'm saying it to get you up because I know you're better than this. And I'm not rooting against you. 54% completion percentage, four touchdowns, three interceptions, Mm. as anemic, as Mm. pedestrian as it gets. We used to get on our colleague here, Tim Tebow, because I used to sit up there and say he wasn't the greatest thrower in the world. But, damn it, at least he could run with the football. He did have the number one running attack when he was the quarterback. You can't do that. The fact of the matter is you look god-awful. Awful. This is North Carolina. It's the Bible Belt. They don't play that. They'll run you out of town for your press conferences. I'm telling you, I know that area. I went to Winston-Salem State University. It's an hour away. I'm incredibly familiar with North Carolina. Oh, North Carolina. Curtisville, Salisbury, you know what I'm saying? Burlington. I, I, we, I, I didn't bring up Raleigh, Durham, Greensboro, Charlotte. I brought up the little small town, Archdale. I brought up the little so small towns because I want this brother to know. I know North Carolina. You cannot talk like that when right. you are playing that bad. Right. Zip it. Because they will run you out of town, and they'll make you untenable for the rest of the league. (laughs) It's good. It's good. 
I like that right at the beginning, Stephen A says, I need the camera to look at me. As if it ever isn't on that show, Stephen A. You're not going to catch some director in the booth or some camera operator who's like, oh, man, guys, go to Stephen A's. Go to camera two. Stephen A's actually got something to say on this. They're always on you. (laughs) You're saying it for effect. I know. But don't worry about the camera being on you. And it was, look, I like the direct-to-player take. I have done them many times myself. It's an assumption that Baker Mayfield is watching first take, which I don't know. Who knows? Baker Mayfield likes to keep score of people talking about him. And it was good. It was a takedown. He sprinkled in a few stats, which amuses me, because every uh, network, media, coach, they have these people who try to help people be better on air, school them up there. I was like, you know, if you could just have a little statistic. I hate statistics. But I like that he sprinkled in a few stats. And then it took a turn. That's when I'm like, ah, Stephen A's just saying the player sucks and his stats are here. And then the phrase Bible Belt came out of his mouth, and the whole thing changed. And one second I'm hearing of Baker Mayfield's touchdown versus interceptions. And then I'm hearing about Burlington, North Carolina, Archdale, North Carolina. And he starts naming towns like he was Howard Dean back in the day, screaming, and then we go to Charlottesville, and then we go to Burlington, and then we go to Archdale, and then we go to the Bank of America Stadium and win the game. Wow! It was awesome. And you know it was awesome because Michael Irvin was on set and he was quiet. He was sitting there in his Pepto-Bismol jacket, like, just enjoying it. He was not being combative. So that was really good. And it, it, there's, re- there's no contest. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it another eight. He wins this. A seven was a good score for Greenberg, but this was an eight. I loved it. He starts referencing his own... Co- you know what the best part is? Like, the heat of it? I don't even know if that's true. That whole take about... You can't talk like that in North Carolina? Like, is, is that really some pressure cooker media? It, it's probably, I don't know, the 30th media market in the NFL where there's, like, very, very little heat on it. Maybe Stephen A is talking about Southern sensibilities, but, I mean, they put up with a lot of BS from Cam Newton for a long time, even when he wasn't playing well. I guess Baker's new there and everything, but I don't even know if that's true. Not to doubt Stephen A's roots and everything, but from a media perspective, it it is not any sort of, like, um, meat grinder of media. You could probably say a lot of stuff there before getting in trouble, but it doesn't matter. It's all irrelevant because we have an 8, which is more than a 7, and that beats Mike Greenberg. Stephen A, another championship here on Takes on Takes. Here's something. We're going to brand awareness, and you know what? Normally it's Sam Pepper. Occasionally it's not. We go to the great Michael Flynn, who is going to come in, and let me just tell you, this gentleman is, in my opinion, the face of the Transitions Lenses Glasses. I was so excited I couldn't say it. The Transitions Lenses Glasses. I hope he's wearing them. If it's dark, they'll be light. If there's too much light in his face, they'll be dark. Let's get to Michael Flynn in the segment that we call Brand Awareness. Can't wait. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And there he is. They look pretty light. Flynn, you look great. 
I'm seeing you. Um, there's an intercom behind you and what looks like a sticker of a video game controller on the wall. Tell us, uh, people who don't know you, a uh, few things. Where you are in the world, um, the least favorite job you've ever had, and your favorite breakfast cereal. Go ahead, in that order, please. Interesting. Uh, where I am in the world, I am in the suburbs of New York, not too, too far away from yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. Second question was the least favorite job I ever had. Mm -hmm. uh, I was going to cop out and suggest saying not this one, but that's not true. Straight out of college, I had to drive a van for two days for American Idol, back and forth from the hotel to the shooting site, and it, it's in Jersey City. It made me absolutely miserable. And third, uh, let's go with Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch, that's that's the ultimate blood in, blood out. You got to pay a price. That's worth it, though. You, but we're bearing the lead. You, you you drove a van. Were you transporting talent? And was it the Seacrest types, or was it the the entrance? And was it Sanjaya? Because I used to vote for Sanjaya. I was not important enough for talent at all, either hosts or judges or uh, singers. It was crew. Okay. Well, yeah. um, did you wear the transitions lenses back then? I did not have them back then. They're they are a new thing. <laughs> Probably for the best, because as we know, the transitions lenses transition you into looking like a predator of some kind. But you got to do what you got to do. Uh, what's in the headlines, Flynn? What do you got? I'm glad that's on the record now. Uh, you talked about <laughs> Kenny Pickett starting against yeah. the Bills to start the show. On the other side of the ball in that game, Josh Allen. And yesterday you asked him about stiff-arming defensive linemen. It just so happens that one of Omaha Productions' other podcasts is hosted by yeah. Cam Hayward. They played Josh's answer for him on not just football yesterday, and here was his response. He looks to stiff arm defensive players, D linemen. Does your mindset have to change knowing that there's a quarterback maybe looking for uh, contact? If he looks for contact, we look for contact. Uh, you know, I don't think it's anything malicious, but uh, if a quarterback chooses to run the ball, we want to punish the quarterback. And that takes guys rallying to the ball. It takes guys uh, hustling uh, to get there. Um, and then, you know, when you have more guys, you know, he's going to be more inclined to take, take a, um, a slide. Um, and you know, it's one thing to stiff arm. We can chop that wrap up and then there's a sack on top of that. Okay. I like this. I, I like that in this corner, we have Cam Hayward, who I know is batting a few injuries himself against Josh Allen. Look, Cam knows what time it is. He's been with the Steelers a long time. He knows they're up against it. They've never had this kind of start. They're not going in as 14.5-point underdogs to Buffalo. He knows he's going to have to play <clears throat> the game of, of the year for him right now to win this thing. But we talked to Josh. We, he has got this signature. This is what we're talking about. Josh will do this thing when he's in the pocket and someone will get penetration up the middle. Maybe it's a linebacker. Maybe it's a defensive tackle. And he will just straight up stiff arm them in the face mask and hold the ball back because he's like you know they're trying to get to this so i stiff arm them and i kind of spin away and just keep away the ball so it's almost become his signature move he's done it so many times and he did it last week against baltimore and made this incredible highlight so i like that cam's like no you just chop it down and i'll go for the ball let's get these two in the in the secondary let's get them in the in the pocket let's get them anywhere i don't care on the sideline in the tunnel it's a great matchup uh i respect cam for responding and playing the clip and everything like that it's a great game. I'm so fired up and doing it. It is that. That's again. It, it's like two gladiators, the two of them. And Cam's an older one. And he's a little banged up and everything. But man, Josh is so good at running. And it's not like he's this unbelievably fast runner. 
he just is very decisive. He's really big, and he's hard to bring down. And so, look, 14 and a half points, underdog. Cam Hayward is going to have to have three sacks, I think, if they're going to win this game. And at least a couple of those, he's going to have to fight through a stiff arm. I love that clip, though, Flynn. What else you got? We have some uh, overnight news. Blake Bortle announced his retirement to the guys over at Pardon My Take. Kyle, third overall pick, 2014 draft. Spent five years in Jacksonville before bouncing around the league as a backup who didn't play much. 103 touchdowns, 75 interceptions, and brought the Jags to that AFC Championship game. What will you remember about Blake Bortles? A lot of things. I think what comes to mind the first is there was a time, what a wild year. You're talking about that championship game. The championship games that that year, think about this. Think about the quarterbacks. The four last quarterbacks standing on their way to the Super Bowl, okay? Tom Brady, Nick Foles, Blake Bortles, and Case Keenum. Those are the four. <laughs> that is some crew. An unbelievable crew. Brady, Brady, Foles, who was on his way to becoming Super Bowl MVP, getting a statue, and is now still bouncing around the league. It feels like five teams later. Bortles, who played well in that game against the Patriots. And it was some clutch Danny Amendola catches in the back of the end zone and an incredible, incredible play known as the Miles Jack play where the Jaguars had that game won and there's a very controversial play on the far sideline. And you don't understand, my friends, how close we were to having the Jacksonville Jaguars in the Super Bowl. And that would have been against the Nick Foles, Doug Peterson Eagles. They would have been them in the Philly special thing. It just would have been insane. And then Case Keenum. Case Keenum's coming off the the Minneapolis Miracle or whatever they branded it to Stephon Diggs to beat the Saints. And Case Keenum was there too. It's just so strange. But I remember a lot about Bortles, how high he got drafted. This He was kind of from like a strange school. He wasn't from Ohio State or Oklahoma. Strange in the sense you don't see quarterbacks that high getting drafted. And then just that title game the most. You know, I, he became this guy later who would always be a backup or they bring in Blake Bortles for a workout. He would always go and pardon my take, and he was they made a huge character out of him, and he was really well-liked. So I remember a lot, and he always seemed like a cool guy who didn't play football because he was like his whole reason to be alive and why he's put on this planet. He played because he was really gifted and really talented. Um, man, I just, if one ball bounces differently, Tom Brady doesn't get to that Super Bowl, and we're getting the Nick Foles versus Blake Bortles Super Bowl. Imagine that. I was, that, game was in, that game was in Minneapolis. And, um, you know, in the Twin Cities, it would have been giant 100-foot banners of Nick Foles' face versus Blake Bortles. That would have been awesome. We didn't get it. It was Foles versus Brady. But I always remember Bortles. I liked him. It would have been the league's worst nightmare. I also have yeah, to believe. Yeah, definitely. He, is he London's quarterback? Did he? I didn't look at the stats, but has he started more games in London than anyone else? It's not only that. Um, Blake Bortles... When he would go to London, he played there a lot. When he would go to London, was always amazing. Look up Blake Bortles' win-loss and then his statistics. Maybe it isn't even leading to wins, but like I'm telling you, I think there was at least one 400-yard game. He would go there and just be sensational. And it was always like, move them to London now. Bortles, Bortles is like Dan Marino when he's over there. He's so good. There's something about that trip that he's fantastic. And it was like he would be... James Bond there, but then he would he would he would land back in the United States and he'd be like uh, Johnny English, like the Mr. Bean spy character. It would just change. He would go from <laughs> being in London the 
the Jaguars. And then he'd come over to the United States and he'd be the Jaguars. It just something <laughs> happened. But not only is he London's quarterback, yes, he is he is the greatest. Here's what it is. Bortles is the greatest international quarterback ever. That's it. Aaron Rodgers is making his debut there this week, and he's never played in London. Uh, Josh Allen's never played there. Bortles is Mr. International, and I hope that in his life, in his retirement, he finds time to get over to the United <clears> Kingdom <throat> because for their exposure over there, like he is their Joe Montana, basically. That's a great point. He's Mr. London. I was not expecting a Johnny English reference on the show today. Uh, fi- <laughs> finally, we, we have a movie poster for Super Mario Bros. Let's go. The, the film set to be released on April 7th. All-star cast led, led by Chris Pratt as Mario, Charlie Day as Luigi. Kyle, your level yeah. of excitement? Good. I'm, I'm into it. And and not only I'm not wildly excited for the animated movie, although, you know, I grew up playing those things with those characters and I, I've played a lot, like a lot of Mario Kart, especially on the N64 system where I always drove with Wario because I'm going to win. So I'm excited for that, but I'm more excited for the idea that now we are opening the floodgates for Nintendo. Hope, hopefully, hopefully. Here's the deal. Quick backstory here. Um, Nintendo has been movie adverse for decades. They don't, they make their games, they don't go into the movie thing, and it's in a large part been smart because video game movies are usually so terrible. And Nintendo was really badly burned because they made a Super Mario Brothers movie years and years ago that is infamously horrible, in which the casting included Bob Hoskins as Mario, John Leguizamo as Luigi, and then inexplicably, inexplicably Dennis Hopper as King Koopa. I don't believe they even had Bowser, although I've never seen the film from start to finish, but it's it's just awful, awful. So they're like, no, we're out, we're gonna do us, fine. But it's become frustrating because the game's starting to change. And I'll tell you what, what made this happen in my belief, I don't care what the trades say, my belief is they saw their old nemesis. They saw the folks over at Sega, the folks who once introduced their product to us the sega genesis with an ad campaign and i quote that said genesis does what nintendo don't and it was like oh damn now we got a cold war i gotta get some genesis and their controller looks like a batman boomerang and this is awesome so i think they saw their their sworn enemy the sega folk making money off the sonic movie and then make an internet fame off the Sonic movie because everyone hated it and they redid it. And then they make another Sonic movie and they're making bank. And Nintendo finally said, enough! Bring me Mario! Bring me, was it Pratt? Yeah, bring me Pratt! Perfect! So now they're going to get in on the button money and it's probably, I don't know if it's going to be good or not, but it's going to be great to see those characters. But most importantly, most importantly, there is one video game franchise that has been most tailor-made most ripe for the picking for a beautiful live action film franchise. And God bleep it, it is the Legend of Zelda movies. And I believe that they have been cowards and they have been escaping their destiny at the Nintendo company to make live action, none of this animated stuff, live action Link, Zelda, Epona, Ganon, live action, you can do it for, for years. You get the white sword, you get the magic sword, you get the wood sword, you get the red candle. Maybe you start with the blue candle, you get the heart container, you get the triforce. Do-do-do-do! Even if you just had the score. That's it. We're home, baby. The rest of the movie sucks. 
Just have the London Symphony Orchestra compose that score, and fanboys like me will come out and hand you our money to see the movie. And they haven't done it. Not since that original gold cartridge dropped way back in the mid-80s when they should have started making the live-action movie. They've hidden, and they've cowered away from their destiny of making the Zelda movie. It's over now. If you can make Mario, you can make this. Here's the deal. Just get Chalamet, he's Link, it's rap, it's over, give him a sword, he starts with the wooden sword, then he gets to the white sword, then he gets to the magic sword, give him a boomerang, it's over, I'm there. You know how many dude bros grew up playing Nintendo games like me out there who will see that movie twice? Who will you know, buy the DVDs if they still even make that and watch the director's commentary? Just make the movie. All right? I understand you got back in the game. You were afraid. You got burned with Leguizamo and Hoskins back in the day. But you're saying, no, we're in it now. We want to get paid. I don't blame you for wanting to get paid. Let me help you get paid. I want to pay you to make a Zelda movie. And there's an army of people like me who want to do it as well. Just have the score alone. The rest is gravy. Mario Mario Brothers movie? Fine. It's great. Super Mario Brothers. It's for kids. It's animated. Live action. You know what they should? Give them that budget they gave to that... Stupid Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings thing that I'm not interested in, even though I'm a diehard in Lord of the Rings thing. Give him a fraction of that budget. Throw some at Chalamet. Who's going to be Princess Zelda? Shailene Woodley, Haley Steinfeld. I don't care. Sword, score, done. I'm there. I only think that the Super Mario Brothers movie is walking so that the Legend of Zelda movie can run or ride on a pony. That's how we're gonna do it. So Flynn, I'm fired up. That's 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 my take. That's my, your your thoughts. I'm sure you're a Nintendo player growing up. Uh, I was definitely a Nintendo player going growing up. I was less of the Super Mario Brothers era. I was more like Mario Party, Super Smash Brothers. Oh yeah. So say like Zelda. Like I only know Link from Super Smash Brothers. Oh man, that's yeah. a damn shame. Man. He's the bow and arrow, but like when he breaks out the 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 ocarina of time and goes. It's beautiful, and that like there's your Oscar clip right there. So uh, believe me, it'll be out. It's, is that all we have for Brant Awareness? I just, is, is that it? That was great. That's all we have. It's a damn shame. I don't know if you'll be back tomorrow, but if you are, you've done splendid. Maybe it'll be Sam Pepper. These are these are our staff here in Kyle Brandt's basement. They're great guys. Thank you, Flynn. I gotta throw a dart right now, though. Does it sound right? Yes, it does. Okay, let's go to the sky cam if you don't mind. Got worked up on that Zelda movie. I want to see that sucker. Uh, we end the show this way, at least when we're in the United States and not London. Uh, I throw a dart. Whatever number the dart hits, there is a corresponding random tee-up that the staff has come up with, which I will improvise or ad-lib a response to. I have not seen any of them. Here we go. The number today is a... That is a 15. What's number 15 on the random topics list at Kyle Brandt's basement? What do you got? 15 is college football locker room story. Okay. I can come up with that. Um, so I played college football uh, late 90s, early 2000s. Uh, it wasn't like super big time or anything, but you know, it's Division One, and we were, you know, we had future pros on our team and future pros on the other team. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of something funny, but the problem is, is that my teams were not good when I was in college. And Four years, we only played ten games a season. The best we ever were was five or five, five and five. And after my junior year, our coach got fired. So a lot of the locker room stories weren't that funny. They were heavy though. I just remember, like, I'll never forget. Um, it was the last game of the season, and there was this lineman when I was a sophomore who was a senior, and his name was Justin Bennett. 
And he was a really good player. I think he was all Ivy that year. It was, you know, like being all conference. And uh, the guy loved football, and he was a left tackle, and he was, again, a very good player, and he was just all about football, and he'd probably played since he was a little kid. He was 21 at the time, and he'd probably been playing almost 15 years, and he didn't speak much before the games. He wasn't one of the rah-rah guys, wasn't a team captain, wasn't the one who would scream, let's go, let's go, banging head against the lockers, or making all that pretentious stuff about, this is our moment, none of that stuff. But I remember before the last game, he got up, and... Out of nowhere, he just started yelling. He just kept yelling like, I am a football player. This is what I do. This is what I am. I am a football player. And this is my last chance in my life to ever be a football player. And it gives me goosebumps right now. And I remember like there was guys who started tearing up and like guys were freaking out. And it was just something about a silent leader who picks his moment at the right time to say the right thing that was totally relatable because... You know, where I play, the, the 99% of the guys were done after college. They weren't playing in the pros or anything, and he knew he wasn't going to be. So you live 15, 16 years as your, of your life as a young person, and that's what you love the most, and that's how you identify yourself the most is as a football player. And he knew he had one last game to do it, and that was it. And after that, he wouldn't be a football player. So I just always remember that, and I try to think about that sometimes in life now. Just remember where you are and who you are, and those opportunities go away. And how long do I get to be on TV talking about football or being here on my Peloton in front of a dartboard talking about a story from 1999? Who knows? Just enjoy the experiences while you have them. Justin Bennett, I haven't kept in touch with you. I maybe should have, but I thought it was an awesome moment. I still think about it all the time. Guys, thank you for joining us in the basement. Love you. See you tomorrow. Last show of the week. Uh, I believe we are doing a Death Star segment where we nuclear attack with a giant green laser. Everything that we hate in sports media. Uh, you'll love it. Contribute to it. Follow us on Twitter at KB Basement. Uh, see you. Love you. Talk to you tomorrow.